Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. You know, Monday is Jack Kirby's 100th birthday. Really interesting year. Uh, we also had the Will Eisner centennial this year. So it's wonderful to celebrate these Golden Age greats. Uh, certainly in both cases, these guys continued to do incredible work right up till the time of their passing. Kirby died in 1994. Eisner died, I want to say 2005 or 2006. And uh, never had the opportunity to meet Kirby, but I've got a great guest who had some wonderful encounters with Kirby, Scott Dunbeer of IDW. You know him, of course, as a great editor, uh, going back to his work at DC and Wildstorm. Uh, Scott has been at IDW, and as he says, half of his job is uh, putting together the artist editions, these incredible volumes that reproduce the actual pages of art that these guys worked on. And as we talk about in the interview, you can see the whiteout, you can see the uh, your representation of probably where Scotch tape was, um, when they used uh, other forms of media beyond drawing, you can tell those things. The artist's notes that he's giving to the writers and the editors, it's, uh, it's wonderful. And uh, certainly Jack Kirby has some incredible collections that have come out from IDW. We discussed those with Scott. And we also talk about the various inkers that did such incredible work with Kirby. Guys like uh, Chip Stone, Chick Stone, excuse me, and uh, Joe Sinnott, and of course Mike Royer. We also mention uh, at San Diego Comic Con this year, there were some great Kirby panels going on. I say it in the body of the interview, but I'll tell you now uh, Jamie Covell always does an incredible job of covering the uh, panels at San Diego, and he puts them on his website, thecomicbooks.com. And uh, he does it for that. He does it for Fan Expo. He does it for pretty much every um, convention that he goes to. And in the case of San Diego, there are literally a couple dozen uh, panels that Jamie covered from Thursday through Sunday. And uh, certainly Kirby is represented in those as well. I urge you, if you're a Kirby fan, to check them out. Great recollections from people like Mike Royer. In fact, I think there's a Mike Royer spotlight in there. Uh, the Kirby family is involved and various uh, creators that knew Jack that are still with us. So wonderful memories from his family and his friends and collaborators. And uh, with the Kirby Centennial coming on Monday, I felt it was fitting to release this conversation today on Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. League, thank you very much for your support. Uh, you are helping me uh, keep Word Balloon going and help keeping me going. I've got a part-time job at a CBS radio station here in Chicago. Unfortunately, it's probably not going to lead to a full-time job, but uh, it's keeping me on the air, and it's helping me out, and you're helping me out by subscribing to Word Balloon. I always like to point out, Word Balloon is free. It will always be free. If you can afford it and you feel like uh, you're getting something uh, from the coverage that I bring here at Word Balloon, talking to these wonderful creators and um, historians and people that are uh, such a big part of the comics community. If you can spare it, go to wordballoon.com. You can click on the Patreon ad or go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. And if you could spare the price of a comic, uh, that would be great. I think Word Balloon is uh, worthy of um, that kind of attention. And I thank the League of Word Balloon listeners for their continued support. You can go to wordballoon.com, click on the Patreon ad, or go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. Thank you again, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades. At InStockTrades.com, there's some great books that are out this week from InStock Trades from uh, friends like uh, Greg Rucka. 
Wonder Woman Trade Paperback Volume 3, The Truth. This features uh, Greg and uh, Liam Sharp doing some amazing stuff. Laura Martin on colors. Uh, what a great story. And uh, I'll tell you, Greg had an epic run on Wonder Woman. It was great to see him back. And uh, between Nicholas Scott and Liam Sharp, I think they served him well. And certainly Laura Martin's uh, colors as well. 176 pages in this volume. And uh, it's 50% off. It's just $8.49. You can get the Mighty Captain Marvel trade paperback, Volume 1, Alien Nation. This uh, features uh, great work from Margaret Stoll. And uh, this is her debut writing uh, Captain Marvel. Pretty neat. And uh, Ramon uh, Rosanas is the artist. It's a great collection. It's uh, 50% off, just $7.00. And ninety nine cents. Those are the those are the reasonably priced books at InStockTrades.com. You can also get things like the few, the trade paperback from uh, Image, Sean Lewis, Hayden Sherman. This is uh, the trade paperback. Does this collect the whole thing? It collects one through six, and uh, it's three hundred and thirty six pages, forty two percent off, eleven dollars and fifty nine cents. You can also get Looney Tunes greatest hits. How about that, man? Uh, pretty neat. Uh, David Alvarez cover, various uh, writers. Uh, you know, I got to say, DC's done a great job with the Looney Tunes. Certainly we enjoyed the crossovers with the DC Universe, but uh, this is classic Looney Tunes at its best. 144 pages, it's 42% off, $7.53. You can also get Tim Seeley's Action Figure Collection, Trade Paperback Volume 1. It's uh, Tim and Sophie Campbell and other artists. And, uh, you know, this is uh, Tim is such a fan of uh, great action figures, and I- I've loved some of the things that he's done over the years. But this uh, collects Jack Kraken, Colt Noble, and the Megalords. And uh, being such a fan of He-Man and the action figures that he grew up with, um, he got great collaborators here. Sophie Campbell is in there. Sean Dove is in there. Jim Terry is in there. And uh, it's a great collection from my pal Tim Seeley from Image, 160 pages, 42% off, $7.53. Just the tip of the iceberg of some of the great books that are available now at InStockTrades.com. Don't take my word for it. You know, on the, on the back end, let's uh, look at some Jack Kirby collections from InStockTrades. We'll do that on the, uh, on the back uh, sell commercial. But now, let's get into our conversation with Scott Doonbeer. Before we start, i got to tell you, I hate Skype. They update Skype, and it messes with my recording software, and sometimes it's just impossible to uh, get the stuff to work, and this is one of those cases. So I've got Scott on my iPhone that I had to hold up to the microphone to do this. So it's a little tinny, but you can understand his words. It's a great conversation. I didn't want to miss this opportunity. Scott was literally the next day leaving uh, to put together another artist edition, and as he says at the interview, I'm not going to tell you what I'm working on, but he does he does tell us a few collections that are coming up uh, that will be spotlighted, I think, at New York Comic Con come October. So, uh, but this is a wonderful conversation with a guy who firsthand got to meet Jack Kirby at a very impressionable age, and likely one of the reasons why Scott uh, followed his heart into comics. But uh, you know, really, these IDW collections and IDW in particular. I think is one of the best publishers that has really helped handle um, the retelling of comic book history. Um, I mentioned it in the interview as well. Uh, Guys like Dean Mulvaney, who does the comic strip collections, and some of the other comic historian books they put together. Craig Yeo is another guy like this. Beautiful coffee table books. 
that um, have such great uh, back matter beyond the work itself and wonderful information to set the record straight. Because as I say, the 20th century is that last unrecorded century where not everything was being captured on your camera phone or video or whatever. And so we have to rely on the people that were there and interviewing them and making sure we get the, re- you know, the record straight as close as possible. And uh, these artist editions are a classic example of that, to really examine the artist's work up close and get as close as you can to peeking over their shoulder as uh, they're creating this wonderful stuff. So without further ado, I'm very happy to present this conversation with Scott Dunbeer on today's Word Balloon. Very happy to welcome Scott Dunbeer to Word Balloon. Uh, I've been meaning to talk to you for quite some time. Scott, congratulations on the career so far and continued success with IDW. Welcome to Word Balloon. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. Tell me about these artist editions. You've got two coming out this Kirby Centennial, correct? Actually, more than that. In January, we had the first Jack Kirby Fantastic Four artist edition, which was the small size one. Then in May, we released the Forever People Artist Edition. Okay. And then in July, we released the modestly titled World's Greatest Artist Edition, uh, <laughs> which features Jack's earlier Fantastic Four work, the uh, Twice Up material. When I say uh, Twice Up material, uh, I, I assume everybody understands my own personal shorthand. Um, Twice Up refers to the size of the original art. Uh, comic book art, to give a very brief history lesson, uh, initially was done at twice the size of the printed comic, uh, which means the original art was roughly 12 and a half by 18 inches plus the size of the paper. Uh, that, so that's called twice up. Uh, later on in the late 50s, comic book art that uh, was done by major companies shrank to one and a half times printed size or about 10 by 15 inches uh, plus the size of the paper. So small size artist editions, uh, if you can call them that, are about 12 by 17 inches and the bigger ones are 15 by 22 inches. Wow. That's amazing. And so, and, and is that actual um, comic page size that they were drawing on or is it uh, an approximation? Um, the, the 15 by 22 inch size uh, is what we print the books at. The size of the paper varies. It could be anywhere from 14 by 20 inches to even larger than 15 by 22. Wow. Uh, and we print them at we print them at a hundred percent. So the ones that are uh, that are larger, well, generally the covers are larger. Uh, those are trimmed off a little bit. Uh, but I think it's more important to have them printed at one hundred percent than to shrink them down. Sure. So which uh, Fantastic Four stories are both artist editions? What stories do they represent? Issue. Well, okay. The first one in. Uh, January, the small size book, uh, that features the later work, uh, it's all up by Joe Stinnett, uh, issue 71, uh, 82, 83, 84, Fantastic Four, uh, as well as, uh, FF Annual 6, which is one of the most incredible Fantastic Four stories that, that's 
Stan Lee and Jack Kirby ever did. Uh, an amazing, uh, an amazing battle that uh, culminates with the birth of Franklin Richards. Oh wow! Great. Uh, the uh, the larger artist edition, the world's greatest artist edition, uh, is fantastic. Four number thirty three, forty five, forty seven, and sixty. Um, thirty three is inked by Chick Stone. Uh, the other three issues are inked by uh, the great Joe Sennett. Uh, and issue number sixty in particular is an amazing issue. It's the climax of the four-part story where Dr. Doom steals the Silver Surfer's board. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. All action, just amazing stuff. Uh, That particular artist edition also has a cover gallery with 22 Jack Kirby Fantastic Four twice-up covers, which is pretty remarkable. I gotta say, I never ever thought I'd be able to find that many. Uh, And then there are also... Uh, there's a pretty stellar art gallery. There are pinups of the Fantastic Four. There's a double fold-out um, that's in there. It's actually, uh, if you open the double fold-out, it stretches nearly five feet wide. And that has the, uh, four Fantastic Four pinups from uh, FF Annual number two. Wow. Uh, there's, also, there's also another fold-out in there that has two of the best Marvel Mania posters uh, printed at 100%. Uh, the Fantastic Four poster as well as the Dr. Doom poster. And then just tons of great uh, interior pages, too. I, I'm really happy with the way this book came out. Holy cow, man. That's fantastic. And who inked Jack? No uh, go ahead. I, I said no pun intended. <laughs> Who inked Jack on the uh, on the Forever People issues, and and which issues of Forever People are there? Uh, the Forever People uh, they were inked by the, the first few issues were inked by uh, Vinnie Coletta, and then after that uh, it was inked by Mike Royer, and uh, the um, I actually have to go back and check exactly which issues were in that particular book. I do too many of these damn things. <laughs> <laughs> I understand, man. And no, I want to talk about the line in general as well. Absolutely, man. God, while you're looking, were you the uh, moderator of Mike Royer's? Uh, did he do a solo panel? I know he was on a Kirby. And did you do the Kirby panel that he was on at San Diego? Uh, I did not. Uh, that was uh, the... Um, I believe he had his own panel, and he was also on the Mark Evanier Kirby panel. Okay. Uh, I did. I did see Mike. He, he stopped by. Uh, always a pleasure to see him. The guy is, um, you know, Mikey. You know, Joseph is great, but Mike Warrior might get the edge. My favorite uh, Kirby anchor. It's pretty tough. Um, although, don't get me started on Kirby anchors because then I'll start talking about you know guys like Wally Wood and. Williamson and, and uh, Bill Everett guys who aren't necessarily uh, known as anchors who did an amazing job on Kirby. Oh my God, yeah, and plus the ones that you've mentioned, including Vinny, and they all have their own little quirks, and certainly what they added and what they removed is kind of part of uh, comic book history, but really when you immediately rattle off Chick Stone, Joe Sinnott, and Mike Royer, 
it's like you know yeah they were they were so fascinating to compare their inking styles to to Kirby and all brought such wonderful interesting little you know hooks to to their contributions to the art and everything uh and then of course oh, yeah, like no, you know no, no question you're wrong yeah man so and then like you said you just like rattled off another like you know roster of of amazing artists that you know belong on any Mount Rushmore of comic book greats and everything so that's that's just fascinating and and uh yeah man well first of all like how did you did you did you figure out which issues yet or are you still looking it's okay if you're looking uh, for every people number one, four, five, six, and seven, as well as the cover gallery. Okay. And well, art gallery. Wow, that's awesome, man. How do you, like how many different private collectors might have this original art that you have to hunt down to put this stuff together? You know, it, it varies. Um, there's no easy answer to that. Uh, I can tell you though that an artist edition, you know, we, we do two different kinds of books. There are artist editions which collect complete stories and there is the artifact editions and those collect individual pages and covers. Okay. Uh, those are those are much more difficult to put together uh, because if you're doing a book that has complete stories, generally those stories are already complete. So collectors have them, the artists have them, um, and then, you know, if I can get one guy who has, you know, two or three issues of something, and another guy has one or two. I mean, it makes my job a lot easier. Whereas with a an artifact edition, um, that's a lot more archaeology, you know, having to uh, root out where all these pages are. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, a good example is the Bernie Wrightson artifact edition that will be coming out in October uh, I'm really pleased with the way that book came out, but I mean, if you look at the special thanks section, um, you know, there's probably 60 names in there. Wow. Uh, because because they were, you know, the pages are just spread in the winds. Yeah, I understand. And, and yeah, and that, that's its own heartbreaking story of art that might have started out stolen, a collector that might have bought it with absolutely, you know, honorable uh, intentions. Might have gotten something, you know. Oh shit! How, you know, I don't know who originally got it, but uh, you know, I bought it from a reputable guy, and then you find out, oh well, you know, somebody raided a storeroom or something like that. And I know, God, I, I know Stan Lee was on some uh, program, and you know, even said, oh, I've got a warehouse where I've got a bunch of this stuff and everything. So you can only imagine what's you know lying there when you know, God forbid, the event, the inevitable, unfortunately, happens. And they start, you know, going through Stan stuff. I, I don't think I don't think Stan actually said that. I think that was somebody who was associated with Stan. Stan that made that uh, oh. that remark. Um, but uh, I mean, you know, all I can say about uh, about that is, you know, it was it was a very very different time. I mean, in, yeah. In the old days, I have a friend in England who wrote a fan letter to Julie Schwartz in the early 1960s and Julie Schwartz sent him a uh, a uh, Carmine Infantino Adam Strange cover. Wow. The original art to it. Um, you know, he just put it in a, he rolled it up, put it in a tube and mailed it to England. Sure. Um, you know, the there, there are guys who used to work at 
DC Comics, who used to cut up original art. Yes. And their job was to cut it up and put it into a shredder. Um, you know, and that's all. That's also something that happened in England. You know, there were uh, uh, a variety of companies that just dumped big quantities of original art. Um, you know, with Marvel, there were definitely some um, items stolen. I mean, DC had its own share of that too. You know, but it was it was a, uh, a much different time. I mean, things didn't have anywhere near the value they have now, which isn't an excuse for it. But it was a much more um, lackadaisical kind of thing. Um, and as you say, you know, people who did buy stolen art um, were were uh, more than likely uh, innocent of any wrongdoing themselves. Um, and, and really another point is the, um, uh, the, vast, the vast majority of original art that's out there, I believe, uh, is out illegally. Understood. You know, I, I just watched the 2000 AD Future Shock documentary, and it was shocking to learn that poor Kevin O'Neill, that was one of his first jobs at 2000 AD was to, you know, kind of shred and destroy art and stuff. And that's just, you know, yeah, again, and, you know, heartbreaking to read uh, here, but also, uh, you know, again, like you said, I mean, this stuff wasn't thought of, uh, of having an aftermarket or... God forbid to return it to the artist and stuff. And thankfully, it is a different time now. And also, thankfully, these you know people who do have these original pages are you know appreciate comic book history and want to share and want to give back and want to want to work with you guys and, and put these wonderful collections together. Was this line? Was this your idea, Scott? Yes, it was. That's awesome, man. And and that's great. And what what is your intent? Because who better to ask than, than the editor, the guy that's putting all this together? But really, what what do you hope people learn from from the artist editions? I think a greater appreciation for the craft that goes into creating comic book art. I mean, especially you know when, when you look at these pages, um, when you when you first glance at them, they appear to be in black and white, but the pages are actually scanned in in color at a high resolution so you can see all of the nuances all of the nooks and crannies that make original art unique and you can see blue pencil notations from the editor you can see pencil scribbles in the margin but Jack Kirby giving instructions for what's going to go in a word balloon um, you can see uh, lettering pasted on or white out or um, patches you know there's all sorts of things that you can see and you can learn and you can really get the intent of what the artist was going for and really get a feel for uh, get a feel for their vision their their uh, their craft Kirby in particular uh, during that late 60s and early 70s period really got into for a lack of better description, and I'm sure you have a better one, mixed media, where he would even take photographs. I mean, I think of that uh, epic Galactus run, and you see Galactus's uh, space station. And, I mean, it looks like it's a part of a photograph of a model. Uh, I know that uh, one of the uh, Fourth World, uh, maybe it was a Jimmy Olsen, where it's Orion on his uh, usual, you know, sky sled or whatever his his apparatus that he uses to fly, and there's a real photograph of the moon 
underneath him, things like that. So does that come through? Obviously, Kirby, go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, Kirby is a, a really unique case because um, you know the, the creativity in his. You know, I don't want to sound corny, but the creativity is in his being is just remarkable and inspiring. I mean, you know, God knows what that guy would have done if Photoshop would have been around when, yeah. he, was, when he was drawing. You know, I mean, <laughs> but, you know, when you mentioned the, the collages, you know, he just, he just wanted to create things that were, that were, you know, I think he, I think he had, I think the visions in his head just must have been the most amazing things, you know, for for everything he wanted to do and everything he tried to do. Um, you know, he would he would try to go a step further. You know, the collages are an excellent point. You know, just really interesting, creative leaps of of imagination. Yeah, and also um, not only Kirby, and that'll be the focus of our conversation today, but also. A guy like Storenko, too, and and the different you know places he would go to do his collages and and uh, you know attempts to kind of show a psychedelic scene or a super spy scene, uh, you know. So it's interesting to compare. And are you able to get uh, through research any sort of? Well, Jack was thinking of X when he put that page together. Or, I mean, literally, is it almost like archaeology where you're looking at the pages and, again, as you say, we see the, the blue note directions from a Kirby or the other artists and stuff or from Stan or whoever was editing at the moment in that? Well, I, I, don't, I don't think we'll ever you know, be privy to what was in Jack's mind when he was doing any of this stuff. I mean, he was... Um, you know, he was just somebody who loved creating. You know, he loved he loved dreaming up new worlds. You know, that was that was his life. I mean, you know, Mark Evanier tells a funny story about going out to lunch with Jack and a few other people, and you know, halfway through the lunch, he, he did, you know, at the beginning of the lunch, he had started thinking, and halfway through the lunch, he created the demon. You know, it just <laughs> it was an idea factory. <laughs> But do you ever talk to the anchors that are still living and able to get beyond the pages from them? Or, you know, do you do you get observations from them and are they able to help crack the code of what the page represents? Well, I mean, you know, it, it, it represents the story. I don't think there was any, you know, any... Deeper meaning. Real, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there are some interesting things. I mean, talking to Mike Royer in particular, if you look at the book... Um, uh, Jack Kirby pencils and inks that we uh, that we published last year. Um, there are some very interesting things in there that that show. Uh, and Roger talks about this in the introduction he wrote for that book. Um, that uh, Kirby, uh, in some cases, would would leave things out uh, with the understanding that lawyer that he trusted lawyer enough. To, to finish something completely on his own. I'm talking specifically about this one splash page. I don't remember what issue it's from. But if you go, if you go into the book, you'll see it. And on one side are Xeroxes of the pencils. Uh, on the other side are um, a scan of the uh, of the inks. Uh, we actually did that book in, um, 
uh, with the assistance and uh, and uh, uh, valuable valuable input of um, uh, the Kirby Museum uh, and Tom Kraft, who's with the Kirby Museum. He designed that book. Um, the uh, this particular page I'm talking about, though, has uh, a border around it, this ornate border of just sort of, you know, goblins and creatures and <laughs> all these different things. And Kirby drew in in pencil maybe 30% of it. And the rest of it, he left completely blank, and Royer just went to town. That's and, awesome. And did it on his own. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it's... When you can when you can find a collaborator that you trust that much and that does such nice work as Mike Royer, uh, and they they blend together so well, you know that's that's magic. You know, and the same thing with you know Joe Sinnott. I mean, those guys yeah. worked on nearly sixty issues together, um, and they just did an amazing, amazing run on the Fantastic Four. You know, just crazy good stuff. Yeah, the Sinnott stuff really represents, I think, the cream of. Uh, Kirby's Marvel and certainly his his FF output. Um, Chick Stone obviously no slouch either. Of now I know Royer's still alive. Is Sinnott still alive? I think. Sinnott is still alive. He is now ninety years old and still working. That's excellent, man. That's great. And also, I want to point out uh, the reason why I asked about the panels. I wasn't able to attend. I was at San Diego. Was doing my own thing. And thank God for people like Jamie Covell who uh, has his website, thecomicbooks.com. And he, I don't know if you know specifically, maybe I'm sure he's probably encountered, you know, talked to you about it, but he records so many panels uh, audio-wise and luckily, you know, literally dozens of them. And I know he did uh, several of the Kirby panels that were going on this year being, you know, the, the Kirby Centennial as well. So if people want to hear those comic book panels, I'll point them to those, uh, excellent. Uh, his his website and and you're able to download those and, and play them at your leisure and and they're fantastic. I mean, my God! And it's you know the closest thing you can get to uh, you know from either watching a YouTube video or actually being there, obviously. So uh, I, great great stories and Royer always uh, very fascinating with his recollections of uh, of Kirby and I'm sure Sinnott is is the same way. Um, tell me about Coletta because Coletta obviously is kind of notorious. Uh, as far as uh, the anecdotes go, that is a guy that couldn't be bothered to literally draw every tree and was happy to kind of erase a few trees to get out of having to do it. He was known for his speed and a lot of times would get the job to get the job done quickly and make it in terms of production time. But I know purists will you know, probably tear their hair out when they think of the, the Thor pages that he worked on or you know the fourth world stuff where he would actually take away art. And is that kind of uh, evidence on these pages when you get things like the Forever People? Well, it's interesting. All I'll say about Vinny Coletta is I'm personally not a big fan of his stuff. Uh, he's not my favorite anchor. He's not my least favorite anchor either. Um, what uh, I, I have seen original pages that uh, have figures erased <laughs> which is always a bit frustrating. Sure. But I can also tell you, I'll tell you a couple of things, though. One is, um, you know, he was working in comics at a very, very uh, different time. I mean, it was a business. Yeah. Um, a lot more than it is now. Now it's really considered an art form. Yes. You know, which I'm all for. 
but it was a business. Uh, he had, he was a workhorse. He went in, he did his job. He did a lot of his jobs. Uh, when he spent time on stuff, it looked better to me. I've seen him take a few jobs that I thought were pretty good. But, uh, you know, he, uh, his job was to get stuff done and get it done quickly. Um, the other thing I'll say is Walter Simonson is a very big fan of the Coletta stuff. You know, he grew up with that. Sure. And, uh, that's the first stuff he read, and he really loved it. So it's hard for me to argue with Walter. <laughs> I understand. I've had the same feeling. Absolutely, man. <laughs> and, you know, his art on its own, Coletta's art on its own, good romance artist. I mean, he had a nice Wonder Woman run. I think he drew beautiful women. Um, but like you say, it was a different time, and it was more... It, that's the thing, man. I mean, we... As, as lovers of this stuff, really do, you know, recognize it and really appreciate the art for itself and everything. But yeah, man, it was, you know, time to make the donuts. And I, I don't care how beautiful this stuff is. This has to go and get printed tomorrow. So yeah, give it to Vinny, who, who's going to do an all-nighter and get the job done. That's great. You know, punch the clock, Vinny. I mean, it, it really was more that attitude than, thankfully... The attitudes now, where, where again, you really respect that stuff. And poor Walter, I mean, you know, I'm sure early in his career, there's there's probably some lost pages and some. I don't even know if Coletta ever actually even did anything with Walter's stuff. Uh, not that I know of. Okay, yeah, it's interesting to get the cross section of opinions on Vinny Coletta, both positive and negative, and stuff. So, no, I, I get that. That's interesting. What could you say about Chick Stone doing uh, Jack stuff compared to uh, a Sinnott or a Royer, and the same with Sinnott for that matter? It's funny. Is one of my favorite Kirby anchors, but uh, I really like his earlier stuff a lot more than his later stuff. You know, like his Journey into Mystery stuff, his Thor stuff, I think is beautiful. I think his Avenger stuff is great. Um, you know, the later work I'm not as fond of. Okay. And then as far as Cynic goes, I mean, as you said, large body of specifically FF or, or a lot of Kirby's Marvel stuff? Um, I mean, you know, when I think of uh, Senate, I think of his Fantastic Four stuff and, um, you know, the first uh, uh, issue or two of uh, Journey into Mystery of Thor. Um, you know, he, he started off with Fantastic Four number five and then uh, was gone until issue 44, 45, 44, 44. Yeah, 44 was his first one back. And, you know, when you look at the, um, the work he did on those issues of the Fantastic Four up through 102 uh, or 100, 102, with the exception of uh, a few that I think uh, Frank Giacoya inked. Um, you know, he did a lot of consecutive issues and really beautiful stuff. And both Kirby and Sinnott were just firing on all cylinders. I mean, the work is incredibly consistent uh, and just beautiful, you know, from beginning to end. You know, it, it's um, the art is you know, honestly, some of the best ever done. I mean, but, you know, Jack's work on the Fantastic Four and the earlier stuff, to me, is is just as good. You know, I mean, there are some things that might be a little bit more primitive. You know, the um, uh, the early Dick Ayer stuff, the uh, Brodsky stuff. But, you know, honestly, I'm a big fan of that uh, Dick Ayer stuff. You know, it's just when the thing was just this lumpy creature and the Submariner just you know, just this really, very bold-looking character. You know, I love that stuff. And then, you have know, the issues that did go in. And then, um, yeah, there's just so much good stuff in there. I mean, 
you know, the only stuff I'm not a big fan of is uh, the stuff that uh, George Russo thinks. Interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah, not, you know, he signed his work, George Bell. Um, you know, not my um, not my favorite. Uh, <laughs> I understand. And God, you know, you mentioned Dick Ayers. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have gotten a, a Dick Ayers uh, original sketch. I wanted that Iron Man, that very brief period when Iron Man's faceplate uh, protruded from the, the armor and it had that almost pie plate kind of cut above the eyes, those those uh, triangles above the eyes and stuff. And that, it, you know what I'm you know what I'm talking about, I think. Sure, sure. There you go, of course. And so, yeah, it was really great to get in that in that chunky Dick Air style. And that's the, the other interesting thing is when it comes to an inker, and I really felt this way about the Simon and Kirby period as well. You know, Joe's flourishes, Joe Simon's flourishes on Kirby art really made it something very different than, than you know, and you see it in certainly in the, the early uh, Captain America stuff, but even it seems to me that 50s period when he was doing Green Arrow and Challengers of the Unknown. I I don't know if it was that, and maybe I'm uh, misrepresenting it, thinking that that was still Simon stuff as well. But it just no, seemed, you know... It wasn't. It wasn't. Okay, there you go. But you know, yeah. Uh, you know, when, when you... Um, well, let's see, when you go back to Captain America, there were other guys that came... Uh, Kirby on that. Um, Simon definitely did some... I'm, I'm certainly not an expert on... Uh, the Golden Age Captain America stuff, uh, or the or the DC stuff from that period, like Newsboy Legion and Manager and things like that. Um, when you go into the fifties, uh, Boys Ranch, which is some of my absolute favorite work by uh, by Kirby, um, I think my favorite stuff by that is of that is inked by um, Mort Meskin. Okay, wow, I had no idea. That's amazing. Who did fantastic work, and then on the Green Arrow stuff, um, you know, I can't tell you definitively. I know that's not Joe Simon, but um, I can't tell you definitively, definitively who the anchor is. But I've I've heard uh, that that stuff's actually inked by Roz Kirby. Huh. Um, she did uh, she did some inking uh, in there, and I I believe at least some of that stuff is inked by uh, by Roz. Um, the Challengers of the Unknown, that stuff is inked by Wally Wood, and that's just gorgeous stuff. He was doing, um, uh, Wally Wood was inking Kirby on Challengers, and then also on uh, Sky Masters around the same time. Sky Masters, the, the comic strip, right? That's that, right. Okay, that's cool. And who did, I always love that one, uh, and, I, and I guess to, to identify it beyond the other Archie Shield character, Am I right? Is it Private Strong? The Private Strong stories. Yes. Who? Who? Do you know who inked those? You know, I don't. Re- I don't remember. I, I've I've looked at that stuff, but not uh, not that closely. Okay. God, you know, honestly, that that was always one of my favorite things when uh, the great Joe Kubert was still alive. That I would bring him uh, a DC War comic from the Silver Age, and be like, you know, I I, I don't know who did this. And he'd just look it up and down, and, and now I'm even blanking on uh, who did uh, one of it, it wasn't Joe Gella or one of those great names. It was just, but he just looked at it. Oh, it was, um, oh, and it's on the tip of my tongue. I can't think of uh, the artist's name, it, you know. But you know, he's like, oh yeah, it's so and so. I'm like, 
That's fantastic, man. It's like Sherlock Holmes sizing up somebody and be like, oh, you were in Afghanistan, I presume. You know, I mean, and that's the great thing. And again, of course, these guys know because, you know, Joe was an editor and stuff. And it's it, it was just such a pleasure to hear, uh, you know, this stuff immediately. Like, yeah, no problem. It's so-and-so. So I, I love that. And again, yeah, Private Strong is one of my favorite Kirby, like, kind of, you know, standalone kind of stories where it's like, oh, my God, it's so lush. It's so great. I wonder who did that. So, uh, and got to learn that Roz was, was inking Jack's stuff. That's amazing. Hilarious, man. Oh, God. So, do you compare, like, you know, his Challengers run to, you know, the FF? I mean, everyone kind of feels like uh, Challengers in a lot of ways might have been a, almost a rehearsal. Not not intentional, but, you know, clearly, like, the you know, the, the backbone of what became the Fantastic Four. What do you think of that theory? I mean, you know, there, there are similarities. I mean, there's, you know, it's a four-person group, but I think that's really where the similarities end. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, they, uh, um, you know, they don't have any superpowers, obviously, and the Fantastic Four are, uh, uh, are a super team. True. Um, you know, they're, they're you know, I, I think they're, they both stand on their own merits. You know, I think both of them, uh, are good, but I think the Fantastic Four, uh, is just something that hit a chord with people. Uh, you know, like Spider-Man did. Uh, it's just, um, they're a group that, um, you know, with the right team, with uh, Kirby and Lee, you know, they really, uh, um, they told great stories. I mean, you know, I mean, that that uh, fourth issue with uh, the Submariner, and when uh, he regained his memory, when the Human Torch uh, gives him that uh, uh, shave with his finger, with the, you know, burning his beard off. Yeah. Yeah, that's just great stuff. Do the artist's editions answer the question? You know, there's there's always that, that uh, again, through legend, and, and I'm sure partially true, because uh, people like John Romita uh, were very candid about, oh, you know, I, I would come up with the plot of a, a story on a, on a road trip with the family and, you know, tell Stan my idea and then send it to him and everything, and then Stan would script the Marvel style that it almost sounded like in some ways... Uh, you know where the where the idea started, whether it was the artist or the writer, and then you know Stan would obviously come in and dialogue after you know he got completed art. You know, I, I does do the artist editions kind of explain again because as you say they have these like little notations from the artist and stuff like that. But do you you get a sense of you know whose idea was what from these from these artist editions as far as writer and artist? I mean, I mean, it, you know, it definitely hints at it. You know, but. You know, nobody was in the room when Jack and, and Stan were, would talk about their ideas and then Jack would go back and cancel an issue and send it in. And then and then uh, Stan would script it and then it would be a letter and then it would go back to, uh, to the anchor. Um, you know, I, like I'll give you one example. Uh, this actually isn't in an artist edition, uh, but it's a page that, that I've seen uh, from... Sergeant Fury number 13. And Sergeant Fury number 13 is one of my favorite comics because uh, it takes place during the Golden Age, during um, World War II, and uh, it's a Captain America and Buggy story. Cool. And there's one part where uh, Sergeant Fury uh, in a long panel, a long horizontal panel, is strafing Nazis with his machine gun. And 
you know, I, I, I think his, I think his uh, word balloon says something like that, something like, um, um, take that, you, you, um, not damn Nazis, but take that, you, take that, you Nazis, probably something like that. Sure. Um, and then in the, uh, in the side, there's a notation in Kirby's handwriting that says, take that, you Nazi bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Kirby didn't expect that to be uh, to be done, but that was his intent. That was the emotion he was going for. And you know, again, he was working fast. I mean, you know, we're talking about a guy who would draw you know regularly four books a month. Amazing. I mean, you know, think about that. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand, and yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of the the Kirby Collector and their efforts to really kind of get you as inside of Jack's head as the as you possibly can. In terms of the the recollections from the family and and you know the the collaborators and and you know people like Mark Evanier that was you know there assisting Kirby and stuff in those in those uh, early late very late sixties and very early seventies uh, periods. Yeah, yeah, him and Steve Sherman. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned Steve Sherman. Absolutely, man. No, very very cool. Did you ever have a chance to meet him at a con? Yeah, Steve's a great guy. He's also. Um you know, giving me some very valuable insight into uh, uh, insight into uh, uh, Jack's uh, method of working from time to time. That's cool. And how about Kirby himself? Have you ever had the, the opportunity to meet Kirby? I did. Uh, I met uh, Kirby quite a few times, actually. Uh, the first time I was uh, 16 years old. Understood. Well, yeah, man. I mean, because you know, you were we're all going back. You know, what, was it '94? That he passed away? Yeah, 94. Okay, yeah, I mean, uh, so, you know, 23 years ago. February, I think, yeah. Wow, oh man, and I remember all the incredible uh, tributes that all the comic book publishers, you know, made made for Kirby back then. I'm 53, and I never had the unfortunate opportunity. I only started going to conventions in the very early 2000s, so I, I missed my opportunity. I did get to meet Will Eisner, which was a thrill. And uh, unfortunately, before I started doing the podcast, so I didn't get a chance to actually interview him. But uh, yeah, I can only imagine. So uh, yeah, what you know? I mean, you know, waiting in line for uh, for an autograph or uh, a sketch or something. When you know, what were the opportunities you had to to meet Kirby? No, I um, it's kind of a long story, but basically, um, when I was um, when I was fifteen, uh, I'm from New York. Okay. And when I was 15, my mom decided between 10th and 11th grade that we were going to move to California, which I wasn't really too happy with. <laughs> so nothing against California, but, you know, I, was, I wanted to finish school with my friends and my sure. high school friends. Absolutely. So, so uh, we moved to um, uh, Woodland Hills, California, and uh, I... Uh, when I, was, when I turned 15, I got a job in a uh, deli called Solly's in Woodland Hills, and I would uh, earn money, and I would, you know, just buy comics. Um, I didn't have a driver's license. I would take the bus, and I remember one time uh, I went to a comic book store uh, in, I think it was in Tarzana, called Fantasy Castle. So I go into the store, and uh, I'm I pick out a bunch of comics. Uh, I have maybe maybe eight or ten Jack Kirby comics. You know, I have some issues of Commandium filling in, uh, early Avengers issue, you know, Thor stuff like that. 
Okay. And I go up to the counter, and the guy behind the counter, he rings me up, and you know, I've got this big stack of Kirby comics, and he says, so, do you like Jack Kirby? Which I remember even then thinking, that's kind of a silly question. I mean, I've got a whole bunch of comics here I'm buying. <laughs> and I go, I go, yeah, sure. And he says, oh, you know, he actually lives around here, and he's got a listed phone number. Wow. And I used to call up artists when I was a kid, and you know they had listed many of them had listed phone numbers back in the seventies still. Sure. And I would uh, you know beg for sketches. So that's all I needed to hear. I get home, I call all on one, and sure enough, that Kirby's phone number is listed. And so I called up Jack Kirby, and we wound up. Uh, I never got a chance to ask for a sketch because we had like a twenty minute conversation just about his work. Wow. And. Um, we uh, we talked about we talked about a whole bunch of stuff. I don't remember exactly what it was, but at the end of the conversation, he asked me where I lived, and I told him Woodland Hills, and he lived in a place called uh, Thousand Oaks, in sure. California. Sure. Uh, and he said, oh, "That's not too far. Why don't you why don't you get your mom to drive you up here this weekend and bring your comics, and I'll sign them for you, and we'll have lunch." Holy shit! And so. <laughs> So uh, my mom, God bless her, drove me up that Saturday, and uh, I remember I brought uh, I brought a, a stomping bag uh, of comics, like fifty comics, uh, not not realizing that that was completely too many comics to bring to somebody. And I remember taking them out of the bag, and I remember Roz Kirby seeing the stack of comics I brought, and she rolled her eyes, and. I didn't understand until years later why she rolled her eyes. Um, and then, uh, you know, Jack took every single comic. He opened each one to the first page. He would open the cover. He would sign the first page. And then, you know, go on to the next one. And, you know, he didn't complain about it at all. He signed all 50 of them. Um, and then, uh, you know, we talked. I remember we talked about anchors. We talked about characters. Um uh, you know, we talked about a whole bunch of different things. Um, my mom was in the kitchen with, with Roz drinking lots of coffee. And, uh, <laughs> my mom was smoking a lot of cigarettes, I'm sure. I think Roz might have smoked too, but I, I don't remember for sure. Okay. Uh, and then um, and then we had lunch. And then I, um, um, Jack and I went back to his studio area, which was in his living room, which was facing his pool. They lived on top of a... Uh, a hill in Thousand Oaks had a beautiful view. Wow! Uh, and he looked out right onto the right onto this pool, and he uh, gave me a portfolio, the gun portfolio. And wow! Then he, uh, and then he sat down and he did a sketch of Captain America, and it's uh, Captain America waving, saying "Hi, Scott." Um, and uh, you know that um, that was a pivotal moment in my in my life. You know, like, yeah. I didn't, I don't think I realized until much later how much that meant to me, you know, that incredible act of kindness. Um, I think it's definitely, I think it's definitely had an effect on me in terms of how I try to treat fans. Um, You know, I don't always succeed. Nobody, I think, can ever succeed in the way Kirby did. You know, I mean, that, you know, his 
acts of kindness were just, you know, incredible. Um, but, but what's really incredible about that story to me isn't so much, it isn't incredible to me that that happened to me. I mean, it, I mean, it's incredible personal, but, but what's really incredible is it is not even close to being a unique story. Yes. You know, there are so many stories of Kirby inviting fans over, just inviting strangers into his house and treating them um, so wonderfully. And, and um, you, know, it, you know, it's kind of emotional for me because it really was an experience that I'll never forget. And, uh, um, and uh, anyway, that's my Jack Kirby story. No, and, and you know, man, again, uh, if people hear... Uh, panels about Jack, you're right. And that's the amazing thing that Jack and Roz are wonderfully notorious for being that hospitable to kids uh, at that awkward age when we don't know that we're really imposing on somebody's time. But clearly, obviously, that, that, that had to be a contributing factor for you eventually wanting to be in the comic book business. And I know as a as a broadcaster having similar encounters with uh, Chicago and even some national broadcasters over, over my childhood years. It's like, I want to do what they do, man. And, the, and it was so important, you know, like really influential that these people would take the time and really, you know, share stories with us and, and really treat us like adults and that we really appreciate, you know, they knew that we appreciated what they did. So I get it. And that's what a, what a wonderful thing, man. And, and, you know, what decade was this that this was happening? Fantastic, man. Nice going. I mean, yeah, that's that's great. That really is terrific, man. And let me let me get back to the artist editions in general and ask um, the the obvious dumb question: Why doesn't DC or or a Marvel or some of these other original publishers that are still doing things? Why don't they put this stuff on? I'm really glad that you're able to do this, and certainly with your relationships, I'm sure with both companies probably helps. Uh, and I'm glad that they are so willing to, you know, accommodate IDW for doing these wonderful things. But, you know, yeah, I mean, just dumb question. Why don't they do it? You know, they take a lot of manpower, a lot of hours. You know, I, I have to travel, you know, sometimes all over the country uh, to track this art down. I mean, you know, for instance, on, um, well, actually, no, tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm uh, going on a scanning trip. You know, I'll be traveling somewhere and scanning a bunch of artwork and uh, um, you know it's stuff that is very valuable that uh, people do not want to let out of their out of their sight um, so uh, you know have scannable travel that's amazing so literally you're like in you know someone's collector's room and you're and you're 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 there with your scanner and you're doing it there that's that that's completely understandable and not just the artist editions, but I mean, honestly, I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you and you work for IDW. The comic strip collections are so invaluable. And also all of this coffee table book material. My, my fr- I, always, I always give a tip to uh, uh, Jason Wood, who does the 11 o'clock comics podcast, and he refers to these books as shelf porn. And and I get it because yeah, they, <laughs> and it's great. Yeah, I don't know if he coined the phrase or not, but I love it and I get it. And it's true. There, are, you know, at a time when it really sometimes, and especially the 
convenience and availability of a lot of digital old stuff that's available. You, I really personally, it's it's a it's a hard choice in terms of, you know, okay, this is a giant book. It's going to probably cut off my my knee circulation if I just you know read it on my knees. So I better have a, a a sturdy table to read it on. But also, you know, yeah, do I do I want to give the the bookcase space to something like that? And IDW literally always comes through. You guys just do this incredible job with this stuff. It's always beautiful. You you go the extra mile and get you know the forewords and the commentary that you get from historians and people that work with these these people and stuff. And it's it's invaluable, and you are thank God preserving comics history, and and especially because a lot of times, and I mean, I've, I've I think I've just shown it in this conversation. You know, there's uh, anecdotally, you know, facts slip through the cracks, and thank God you guys are out there going, no, 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 this is the real stuff. This is how it happened as best as we can put it together, and because uh, it seems like the 20th century is the last uh, era when. You know, everything wasn't rec- being recorded every second. And again, this this conversation is a perfect example of that. But yeah, you know, so so you guys are really kind of like preserving this really rich history, and these are the building blocks that that brought us where we are today. Well, you know, I can you know, first thank you for that. That's very kind of you to say. But um, I can tell you that um, you know everybody who edits books here at IDW. I mean, I've never, I've never really seen such passionate people about comics, about uh, the history of comics. Um, you know, and that, that goes for really everyone here from the publisher and president on down. Um, you know, and you mentioned the uh, comic strip books. You know, Dean Mullaney does yes. just incredible stuff. I mean, I'm in awe of his uh, Toast books. The, yes. Uh, uh, the three volume set, you know, just, um, I, uh, uh, if there's anything that I could have, um, ever done, worked on, it would have been that book, but, or that series of books, but I never would have done it, you know, nearly as well as Dean did. Um, you know, and Craig Yeo is another one who just does really, you know, great, passionate stuff. And, you know, what I really like about, about the three of us who work on these kinds of odd, books is, um, um, you know, all of them are different from the others, and I think all of them have, um, you know, show a real passion for the material. No question. Absolutely, man. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Craig and, and Dean as well. And uh, I'll be bugging Steve Scott. I've been, I've, uh, you know, it's been in the back of my mind to talk to them as well about this stuff. So I, I don't want to keep you. So in closing, and, I, and, I, and I'm sure, too, you're going to keep your cards to your vest, but I'll ask anyway. Can you can you tell us any artist editions that are you know in production that or do you like to wait until it's you know okay we're ready to release? I mean I'm I'm happy to tell you about some that are in production that we've announced. Okay, uh, but not, uh, <laughs> uh, but otherwise not any uh, any others. Um, sure. You know, I'm 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 working on um, well let's see what do we have coming up? Coming up soon we have uh, P. Craig Russell's Strange Dreams, which is going to be. Uh, uh, Marvel material, uh, the Killraven graphic novel, as well as the uh, uh, Doctor Strange uh, mini graphic novel he did in 1996. Uh, very nice gallery section in there too. Um, then after that uh, is the Brain Rights and Artifact Edition, which is something that uh, came together, I think, 
really nicely. That'll be out in October. Cool. Uh, after that, we have um, uh, the uh, Gene Colan Tomb of Dracula book. Wow, fantastic. Oh, that's great. Um, we have uh, uh, a Ross Andrew Amazing Spider-Man book that'll be coming out. Wonderful. Oh, that's great, man. He and Esposito, I imagine. Um, a couple, a couple. Uh, there's oh, okay. Some, uh, Jim Mooney inked one story. Anyway, awesome. Uh, <laughs> no, all this is good. Continue. <laughs> and then, uh, and then others. You know, like the stuff I'm going to be scanning tomorrow. That's great. I'm not going to tell you about. <laughs> I understand. Is the Craig Russell stuff? Is that? Uh, is that uh, the the Doctor Strange mini? Is that the what is it that's disturbing you, Stephen? Uh, story. That is, yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh, man. I've had the pleasure of talking to, to Craig about that. And uh, uh, also, uh, you know, I, I got to meet Bernie a few times. I'm sorry he never he made it on a word balloon. Uh, Gene Colan, uh, got, one of my first interviews was with Gene. And what a sweetheart of a guy. And, uh, yeah. Great. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Gene the Dean, man. And uh, also, uh, are, will you will uh, the Wrightson book, will it debut at New York Comic Con? Um. Will. Will you be there or no? I won't be there. Oh, too but, bad, man. Uh, the, the, uh, I, I decided uh, this year to skip it. I have too many books to uh, to work on. <laughs> I understand. No, um, no, I understand. But uh, but no, there will be um, uh, there will be a uh, uh, the Brightson the book will be debuting there, and I'll give you. Uh, a secret that we haven't told anybody. It's going to have an exclusive cover for that uh, premiere. Wow, fantastic! Ah, you know, and I, you, Walter was kind enough to tell me when your uh, Thor artist edition was put out, and he's like, "Oh, you got to go over there, John, and grab one." And I'm like, "Yeah, man." I, and of course, I didn't. And also, Steve's been very generous to offer some artist editions and in, uh, in the past and stuff for for you know helping do some stuff for IDW in the past, and that's really kind. But. Uh, I, hey man, I'm just glad they're out there. I'm glad that um, that again you're you're really sharing history, connecting the dots for a lot of people with with what you do. And man, just keep you know, it up. I'm, Go ahead. I, I'm just a very lucky guy because I'm able to I'm able to make you know my my job my the main part of my job fifty percent of it is working on these books, and you know this is. Um, you know, the perfect job for me. You know, as being a former art dealer uh, and art lover to uh, uh, to an editor, you know, and now doing these art books, you know, I couldn't be uh, I couldn't be happier. And it seems like every year there's a new book that comes along that I'm just more and more thrilled with. You know, I understand, man. Well, and and hopefully in a future conversation, I'd like to talk to you about the other fifty percent of what you do, and also really dig back in uh, some of the some of the amazing runs that you were able to edit and stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, I really felt like, and I really appreciate your Kirby memories, and uh, and really uh, talking about these incredible books that that you put out. I have had the pleasure to make a few audio documentaries for radio in my years. And I can only imagine, and I bet it, it's the same kind of feeling that I bet you have, putting this stuff together and, and making it a reality and making it available to people and, and helping tell these stories. So seriously, man, thanks very much for what you do, and good luck tomorrow and uh, your your further adventures in terms of uh, finding and scanning and uh, putting these amazing uh, artist editions together for IDW. Scott uh, Dunbear, I appreciate the talk today. Thank you.
Thank you very much, and uh, thanks for inviting me on, and I really enjoyed it. Wonderful conversation with Scott Dunbeer. So happy to share it with you on today's Word Balloon. I hope it uh, helps you celebrate uh, the king on his 100th birthday. Happy birthday, Jack Kirby. Thank you for your contributions to comic books. We all recognize that, but sometimes we've got to stop and sniff the roses and really appreciate the man. And uh, I think we got a better understanding of uh, Kirby's art through this conversation with Scott. And I hope you enjoyed it on today's Word Balloon. Brought to you again by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for your support. Uh, you helped me get to conventions. You helped me make connections with uh, creators at these conventions. And uh, you help keep Word Balloon going uh, at a time when, uh, you know, I'm kind of between full-time radio jobs, trying to get a full-time job. And in the meantime, uh, happy to keep things going with Word Balloon with your support. Thank you very much. Uh, WordBalloon.com. You can go there and click on the Patreon ad or go directly to Patreon.com slash WordBalloon. And uh, you'll find out more information on how you can subscribe. If you can uh, spare the price of a comic book, that's a huge help in terms of uh, helping me uh, keep things going and uh, presenting Word Balloon. Like I continue to say, and I mean it, Word Balloon is free. It's always going to be free. But if you think like uh, you've got a little bit of money and, and feel like uh, you want to help the cause, the place to go would be patreon.com slash Word Balloon. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades. At InStockTrades.com, we've got some of these uh, Kirby Artist Editions available through IDW and InStock Trades. And um, in some cases, because these are so limited, they're, they're not at reduced prices, but they are available. In some cases, they are. Um, in fact, the Jack Kirby Forever People Artist Edition is 20% off. It's regularly $125. You can get it for $100 in in-stock trades. You can also get the New Gods Artist Edition for $123.50. Or again, um, let's see, they're, uh, the Kirby Fantastic Four, uh, this uh, collection is uh, just $100 as well. You can get the Kirby Commandy Artist Edition for $100. And then there's also some uh, more uh, moderately priced uh, Kirby fare that you can get. Things like, uh, let's see, the Jack Kirby Collector, issue 50, the Kirby 5.0 issue. It's 25% off. John Morrow wrote it. And uh, as they say, uh, 5.0 looks at the best of everything from the 50-year career of Jack Kirby, co-creator of the Marvel Universe. The regular columnist from the Jack Kirby Collector magazine examined the best Kirby story published each year. From 1938 to 1967, and the best covers as well. This is a really great oversized edition. It's 25% off, $18.71. So you can afford that. You can get uh, things like his uh, collaborations with uh, Joe Simon on things like Sandman, uh, the original Sandman. Uh, back when Wesley Dobbs was uh, changed from the gas mask suit-wearing hero to the superhero purple and yellow suit with uh, his sidekick, Sandy. Uh, this is Joe Simon and Jack Kirby at their best. 42% off for this collection. It's $23.19. You can get another volume, too, of uh, Boy Commandos by Simon and Kirby, one of the most popular of their kid gang comics, the Boy Commandos. This was an international team of kids dedicating to fighting the Ratsies, as they say. Almost timely when you consider some of the headlines in today's papers. The boys were doing it back in the 40s, and Simon and Kirby were the ones behind this great collection. 42% off. It's $28.98. There's lots of Jack Kirby material at InStockTrades.com. You can get Kirby pencils and inks from IDW, 30% off. And uh, this is another great look at uh, some of his original art, 
naked in pencil and ink form. 30% off, $34.99. So just some of the great stuff that you will find at InStockTrades.com. One more thing for you, because it is the 100th birthday. The Kirby 100 soft cover from Tomorrow's, the Jack Kirby Collector, This uh, is a full-color visual holiday for the King of Comics. It features an all-star lineup of 100 comic pros who critique key images from Kirby's 50-year career, uh, admiring his work and style. This is a great critical look at Jack Kirby art. The Kirby 100 softcover is 20% off. It's $27.96 from InStockTrades.com. You will find a hell of a lot more than what we just discussed, uh, all from the King himself, at InStockTrades.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon today. Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners, for your continued support. More great uh, interviews coming up uh, through Labor Day weekend. Uh, we're wrapping up August and starting September, and uh, I've got lots of interviews in the hopper, plus more that I'm doing this week. And uh, happy to keep presenting this stuff to you, and uh, I hope you enjoy the conversations. You know, I'm going to do reverse on Labor Day. Everybody has Labor Day off. We're building going to work a little bit harder to bring you some great conversations this week into uh, and through Labor Day weekend. So until next time, thanks for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2017.